okay. I mean, everyone has a different palette, and really what matters more than anything else, and this is a rule for wine, and I'm assuming it's also a rule for beer, but I would refer to it as the Dread Pirate Wesley rule. Any wine that you like is a good wine. Anyone who tells you anything differently is trying to sell you something. Welcome to Tap That Easy Podcast, brought to you by Arizona Food and Beer. I've got some pretty cool people with me today. Chris. Uh, Chris Dodson. Chris Dodson. Editor. Just said cool people. Producer extraordinaire. Yeah. And we've got Cody. Cody. Cody Burkett, the Arizona Wine Monk. Arizona Wine Monk. Dude, thanks for joining. CSW. I CSW. Yeah, you were, you were talking about that before. What, what is that? CSW, the best way I can describe it is uh, it's sommelier status for people who hate people. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason why I say that very specifically is because um, it's equivalent in knowledge to uh, Psalm 2, but it's more focused on regions and winemaking techniques and grapes and all of the stuff. That goes into wine and winemaking and all that fun stuff. A little bit on the service, but not nearly as much as Psalms. Okay. So Psalms serve people a lot more than CSWs do. CSWs more about that raw knowledge. So, like I said, it's Somalia status for people who hate people. Congratulations. <laughs> Congratulations. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Passed the test the first time, which uh, apparently is hard. So, so less... less pairings this is what's going to go well with your meal more oh well me, i still do me, food pairings but it's more like i'm not more, going to tell me, you how to serve it it's just like let me this is where the grape is from, from and yeah. how it's made and uh you want to know how to serve us talk to us on because i hate you <laughs> uh, i work well in a tasting room setting because i like teaching about wine marginally more than I hate people, so okay. it works. <laughs> it should be like a graph. You should show a graph. There. Yeah. I, I really should. Yeah. It's just like it's right at that intersection. Of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah mo- most of all, I just appreciate the honesty. Like, yeah. I just, I, I want to know that you don't care yeah. up front, and, and we can, I can work yeah. with that. I care about the wine. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's obviously why I do what I do, sure. uh, is drinking and knowing things. But So let's, let's, how did you get started in all of this? Well, I started drinking wine when I was 15 years old, um, partially by accident, partly because I grew up watching Frasier and I knew I wanted to eventually. <laughs> but what happened was actually Sangiovese was my first wine, oh, um, ironically. Appropriate so, enough, so this yeah. is a very apropos podcast. Yeah. Uh, what happened was I was on a camping trip with my dad and his buddies along uh, up near Seligman, middle of nowhere. Um, basically they all got drunken and debauched and I was brought along to cook everyone breakfast the next morning and cure everyone's hangovers, uh, being, you know, 15. Know um, your role. You know, yeah. know your role. But, uh, <laughs> but what happened was a friend of my dad's brought this Chianti Classico and he was going to make spaghetti as he called it in the field. Uh, and he, like the whole time he was like, I'm going to make spaghetti in the field, in the field, boys. Like <laughs> most stereotypical Italian you can imagine. So he uncorks the bottle, pours about half of it into the sauce that he makes, hands me the bottle of Chianti Classico and goes, hey, Cody, be a good lad and finish this off for me. Well, it's important to do what you're told. Yeah. Follow your elders. You <laughs> of know, course. Respect your elders. It's one of the commandments after all. Uh, respect <laughs> thy mother and father and uh, by extension all the elders. Uh, there in ties the wine monk aspect. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll a we'll get there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What happened was uh, I sipped it, loved it, 
Um, drank the Sangiovese out of a red Solo cup because I didn't have wine glasses. Uh, why would I have thought to bring wine glasses at 15, right? <laughs> Hashtag proper glassware. Yeah, but uh, it just so happened that that camping trip and that wine experience coincided with the first time the Northern Lights were seen in Arizona. What? In really? 80 years. This was March 31st, 2001. And so did that I, actually happen, or was it the half a bottle can? No, it, it actually <laughs> happened. It was in the newspapers the next That's day fantastic. and all this fun stuff, and we were talking about it in physics class in high school the next week. That's and super cool. So here I was, sitting under the stars in front of a campfire, watching the Northern Lights, sipping the Schianti Classico, going, fuck, I peaked at 15. <laughs> sucks. <laughs> this is way too early. This is way too early for a really good experience like this. <laughs> fuck. Uh, so I got into wine seriously after that and would save my allowance money and uh, <laughs> give it to my parents to, to bring me bottles. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. Uh, I ended up getting a fake ID at... 19 purely for wine purchasing and was never carded because apparently I knew more than the average pe- person that came in. Yeah. So as long um, as you spoke the language. Yeah, it's like, like hey, you know, I like tannic old reds, but I'm tired of California cab. Uh, I'm interested in Southern Italy. What's, what's new and innovative that uh, I probably haven't tried? Oh, have you tried Ionico? No. What's a good budget bottle? Oh, here you go. Great, thanks. <laughs> uh, in college, I ended up as the, the wine advisor for everyone who wanted a picnic date to get laid. It's like, we want... <laughs> Get me, get me a nice bottle that I will actually get laid by this girl. It's like, okay, this is what you want. Here. Here it is. It's delicious. And it's, it's delicious also 18%. And it's great and it's dry. It's not white Zinfandel. <laughs> but, but, but she like, she just trust me on this, okay? Do you want to get laid or not? I can't get laid, but maybe you can. <laughs> I'm just here to help. I'm just here to help. Um, the Wine Monk thing started by accident. Uh, there was this publication uh, that was a monthly publication in northern Arizona called The Noise. They were looking for a new wine writer. And um, they had gone through like three or four different wine writer, writers that had submitted like one or two articles and then ran off. And then mm-hmm. someone basically threw me under the bus and said, oh, Cody should do it. Uh, and I'm like, okay, sure, here's some writing samples. And they're like, oh, can we use this writing sample about it? And I was writing actually about my first wine experience. I'm like, no, that's not an Arizona wine. You can't use that. <laughs> well, when's the deadline? Tomorrow? I'm like, okay. You can definitely use it now. Uh, no, and I, I'm like, okay, oh. just let me stop by Caduceus on the way back. I'll get oh. a bottle of the Katsune. We'll do a Sangiovese. Okay. Uh, so my first published article on Wine in Arizona was also a Sangiovese, so Sangiovese ties a, the whole thing together. That really does. Uh. So let's let's talk really briefly about why we're why we're doing this episode. So um, the reason I'm super excited about this episode is um, it's the we have the perfect crossover uh, release from Arizona Wilderness. A, a few weeks back, they released their uh, Sangio Cerveza, which is a saison that they brewed along with Sangiovese grapes from uh, Dos Cabezas. So that vineyard that they're going to be sourcing those from um, is going to be Cimarron Vineyard on the Wilcox AVA. And we have for our wine, to kind of set our palate and get it ready, as it were, uh, is a wine, actually, from Dos Cabezas. Yes. The Toscana. Oh, nice. Yep. So this is a blend, but it's 55% Sangiovese. Yeah, I think it's 55% Sangiovese, and I want to say the other... Percentage is Cab Franc and Merlot. If if only we had the bottle nearby. (laughs) But it's so far away, Chris. It's nearly eight feet away. Oh, I was I was sort of right. Uh, It's fifty five percent Sangiovese, twenty one percent Cabernet Franc, ten percent Cabernet Sauvignon, seven percent Ionico, and seven percent Petit Verdot. The thought was we, we'd start with the wine, kind of prime our palates for Sangiovese. Uh, we didn't have a full Sangiovese from uh, Cimarron. 
uh, mostly because we all dropped the ball. Yeah, I, uh, I'll, I'll take the full brunt of the blame since I'm the one that put this together. I, I almost bought one anyway for, <laughs> for the fuck of it because if I didn't drink it because uh, we didn't drink it out, oh, oh darn. Uh, <laughs> then you have it. Then oh, I no, have I it. Have, I have oh, a no, mug. I have it. It's terrible. So, so I didn't you? know all of the points where San Giovese played such a big role in your in your past. So yeah. that's that's cra- that's crazy. That, <laughs> Which that, is one that of the other reasons I'm planned. like, this would be a perfect crossover. Yeah, yeah. Because it's like the origin grape of everything. Yeah. <laughs> for me. <laughs> it totally is. And the way I, I kind of see San Giovese and my personifications, uh, those who know me well and read my blog and have read my articles in the noise know that I like to personify uh, the grapes and wines that I drink. And San Giovese is, to me, like my best friend, you know? He's all actually she. It's a, it's a she, but she's always there for you when life hits the fan, you know. When you want like a plain date but don't want to go through all the rigmarole of, you know, trying to not be yourself for the first six months, you know, <laughs> uh, you can just hang out with Sangiovese. You know, she'll put on a nice red dress and you'll go in arm in arm and we'll be like, whoa, who are they? <laughs> you know. But at it. the same time, she's always there for you with a friendly handshake or a hug whenever you need it. So it's it's a grape that grows well in Arizona. Yes, I would say it's definitely one of, uh, I would say one of our top five red grapes in Arizona, hands down. It grows really well on Wilcox, especially. It grows fairly well um, in the Verde Valley, also. It doesn't grow well in Sonoyna, but mostly because mm. it's too cold and too frost prone. Okay. Um, people have tried Sangiovese there, but it just doesn't seem to work. Uh, higher elevation Italian varietals like Nebbiolo, mm-hmm. I think, do better down there for okay. the most part. Um, so um, I was going to ask. So we're we're, gonna, we're about to taste this. Yes. As a, as an amateur wine drinker, obviously. By the way, I'm holding the glass. <laughs> uh, you guys are both looking like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, guide me Stem through. Stem first. Like, yeah. Okay. All right. So uh, guide me through a tasting. Like, so how, what is a pinky way? pinky out does not necessarily need to apply. I okay. promise. Okay. Uh, <laughs> despite what all the ladies and mean girls might tell you, uh, it I'm, eventually happens to everyone though. So don't be, feel bad. Yeah. If that yeah. Just okay. <laughs> uh, so the first thing I do when I'm approaching a wine is honestly the first thing I do is I look at the color because that color will tell you quite a bit. Okay, we can tell by this color this is probably a medium-bodied red, uh, medium to full-bodied. Uh, we know it's young because there's not any real di- orange discoloration on the rim. Um, we know that it's also young because that bright red color. Uh, as a red wine ages, it becomes more of this bricky orange color. And you've seen the the old Echo Canyon stuff, which is the yes. oldest Echo Canyon, uh, the oldest wine in Arizona. How it's almost like almost brick orange or, or right. brick orange pink, almost as it were, um, as opposed to this really bright, vivid garnet. So the second thing I do when I'm approaching a wine that I'm tasting is, just take a whiff. What was the banging on the glass for? Mostly just because I like the noise. <laughs> <laughs> it makes a cool ding. It does. It really does. So, you know, then I just take note of what aromas that I get on this wine. Okay. You know, what are you guys getting on the nose? Grapes. <laughs> it smell, it You're smells, not wrong. It smells bright to me. It's red fruit, kind of that, um, like that stone dust, a little vanilla. Now, that dusty character is a character that I prominently get on a lot of Wilcox wines. Have you, either of you, been down to the Wilcox bench driving around? So, you know that smell, because all the roads there are are dirt. Oh, yeah. And you slam that car door and you smell all that dust? Yes. I get that on a lot of Wilcox wines, especially reds. Interesting. And I'm getting this on this wine, too. I'm also getting, like you said, red fruit, sort of a strawberry, 
mm -hmm. raspberry, cherry character, maybe a little bit of plum from the Cab Sauv and Cab Franc and Ionico. A little hint of oak, so what that means to me is that this wine was aged partly in a little bit of oak. French oak specifically, because different oaks impart different aromas. So for me, the way that I kind of do a fast and loose um, characterization is that um, American oak smells like bourbon, because bourbon is aged usually in American oak. So you get that sort of cedary caramel, strong mm -hmm. vanilla character, like almost like vanilla spice. Uh, with French oak and Hungarian oak, you usually get this more mellow, more mellow vanilla, um, sort of like almost uh, peppery character, and also um, sandalwood, mm, as opposed to like this in-your-face okay. like caramel. Like punchy in the mouth. Punch you in the mouth type thing. Sure. Then after I've smelled, I swirl however many times you want. What does that do? What that does is it opens up the wine um, to oxygen. So oxygen molecules interact, breaks down some of those tannins and all their organic molecules. So does that work with wine because the ABV is so much lower than like a distilled spirit? Yes. The, you're not supposed to swirl any sort of like scotch or anything before smelling it. Otherwise, you're just going to smell alcohol. Yeah, same idea. Ah, oh, interesting. Okay. Um, they, or, Which I just barely learned. I, yeah. I've, been, I've been doing it wrong for so long. <laughs> I didn't know that at all. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should really stick to wine. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, because it is such a lower ABV, that opens up. And also there are different molecules. You've got tannins and stuff that I'm assuming aren't in most spirits. I could sure. be wrong. Um, so you're breaking down those molecules, and that opens up, theoretically, new aromas. So I'm getting yeah, that, this yeah. almost like pencil shaving character. Oh, that's so on the nose. I didn't know how to identify it, but that's and totally that's what it is. that's the Petit Verdot, because that is a scent that, um, if you look at like all the tasting notes for like 100% Petit Verdots, they'll all have like pencil shavings and bananas and... And all these other red fruits. and But pencil shavings and banana are like the key characters that kind of denote Petit Verdot. And so whenever I get that pencil shavings, like, aha, there's Petit Verdot in here. Oh, interesting. Wow. And different grapes have different kind of signposts. Um, most of that light red fruit is coming from the Sangiovese, for example. Okay. Uh, Man, the dark my... fruit notes are going to be coming from the other grapes in this blend, especially uh, the Cab Franc and Ionico. My nose is very amateur. <laughs> like I, I smell wine. That's okay. I mean, <laughs> really, I mean, everyone has a different palate, and really what matters more than anything else, and this is a rule for wine, and I'm assuming it's also a rule for beer. I don't know. Um, but I would refer to it as the Dread Pirate Wesley rule. Uh, any wine that you like is a good wine. Anyone who tells you anything differently is trying to sell you something. <laughs> Interesting. I, see the I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. And then after that, give it a sip. That's a skill right there. That picked up perfectly in the microphone, too. <laughs> <laughs> so what I just did was what I refer to as mouth aeration. Mm. A friend of mine refers to it as the wine whistle. The wine whistle. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um, Basically, it's mm. mouth aeration. So, again, it's doing what swirling in the glass does, but in your mouth. So it opens up the wine in your mouth to open up more and more characters. And that is a tongue skill. I mean, not everyone can do that. And if you can do it, great. If not, um, 
I don't know if you can be taught. <laughs> uh, is it yeah. like the peop- some people can do taco tongue and some people can? It's yeah, just like that's, genetics. that's, that's yeah. the thing. I can't do taco tongue, but I can certainly do mouth aeration. So <laughs> I can do something good with my tongue at least. Ladies. <laughs> <laughs> that's AZ Wine Monk on Instagram. And <laughs> I, I am, actually, I am the AZ Wine Monk on Instagram. Yeah. I am currently single. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> Say no more. He has great taste in wine. Impeccable dresser. Impeccable. Yes. Yeah, seersucker yeah. suit. Yeah. <laughs> I also have a wine cellar that contains 260 bottles of wine. Wow. Ladies. <laughs> anyway. So, so again, we're getting, uh, what flavors are you guys getting on the... Uh, it's it's the red fruit that really yeah. jumps out And that's, me. this is basically this the way this wine is designed. Looking at this blend and, and tasting it is that all of these other grapes in this blend are working together to lift up the Sangiovese. Not that Sangiovese necessarily needs lifting up, Mm -hmm. um, because it's great on its own here in Arizona. But this is a particular style of blend known as the Super Tuscan that was developed in Tuscany in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, where renegade winemakers said, I want to follow the rules of Chianti, because Chianti rules are stupid. Um, it's a direct quote. <laughs> I want to do my own thing and make something that I like to do. And so they made the Super Tuscans for themselves. And the funny thing is that these originally were labeled as table grapes and table blends. And so you had blends that were tasting like, you know, $150 Bordeaux blends and stuff that you could only sell, according to basically Italian liquor laws, for like $15. So the good old days. And then the price started to go up, and eventually the Italians said, fine, fuck you, we'll create a separate labeling for Super Tuscans <laughs> as an IGT, so you don't have to call it Vino di Table anymore. IGT is? Uh, basically the second tier out of the four tiers of labeling oh, okay. in, uh, in Italy. You have uh, Vino di Table. Uh, IGT, which is a general, like, this is a good wine from a good region. You can price it however. And then DOC, which is like, these follow these specific rules. And then DOCG, which is like, these follow these specific rules better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like, more exacting rules. Ma- these made the rules. Yeah. These wines made the rules. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so you, you've been here since the inception of the wine by and large, as since I was a native Arizonan, yeah, uh, yeah, I've been watching that industry grow. Even though I was very conscious not to drink Arizona wines until my twenty-first birthday, because I didn't want to fuck it up for anybody else. Sure, um, because I know that Arizona liquor law, especially, and it's only gotten as bad. I mean, <laughs> it makes uh, the word Byzantine seem too simplistic, and I speak of. And I say that as someone who actually was a historian specializing in the Byzantine Empire for a while uh, in undergrad and, and grad school. So it's like, it makes Byzantine look simple. Um. <laughs> that's, that's interesting to say, because I thought oh, over time the, the liquor laws have been they, much more permissive in They Arizona. have been more permissive, but they've also run circles to try and keep everyone happy. Like, oh. you know, for instance, in the tasting room, I cannot say the F word, free. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I've definitely been in the oh, tasting room Oh, with yeah, you. You, you've heard me say fuck in the tasting room a number of times. But, like, we, we a, can't do anything that could incentivize point. people to drink. <laughs> right. Because, God forbid, you know, people in there already drinking, you know, will want to drink. Go, uh, go figure. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's one of those weird puritanical holdovers. Sure. But, you know, it actually wasn't apparently legal to do wine in communion, until 1984 in Arizona, which, you know, hmm. being Eastern Orthodox is like, what the fuck? <laughs> 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 oh, 
So was it still happening and just no one was prosecuted? I have or? no idea. Oh, okay. Because I was only born in 1984, so I can't oh, speak well. to what happened before I was born. There is so that. I am about as old as the Arizona wine industry because the very first commercial yeah, vintage was 1983. Oh, gotcha. And, and that was that Sonoida Vineyards. Sonoida, right? Yeah, yeah Gordon okay. Dutt was, was responsible for that. Right. So there was no wine here before that? Just, I mean... Before that, after Prohibition. There uh, okay. were commercial wineries actually in Arizona. There was a big one in the Verde Valley prior to Prohibition. Uh, uh, Schumann was the guy who did it. Hence, uh, for Tilted Earth, the Schumann Dinner. Oh, okay. It's named in his honor. I didn't know And that. he had a vineyard basically right where, uh, just north of uh, Red Rock State Park. That was 70 acres, mostly Zinn. And then uh, Prohibition shut it down, and then a flood wiped out the rest of the vines. Yeah. Thanks a lot, uh, that nature. Yeah. <laughs> so, which actually is Always a similar story stuff. of what happened in New Mexico, too. Oh, really? Um, so you had this big hiatus in northern Arizona. But there was commercial wineries in, in also the Phoenix area and, and down in Tucson, too. Hmm. Uh, but that all shut down during Prohibition. And it took until basically 1980 was the first planting of a commercial vineyard. And 1983 was the first commercial vineyard. And is, was it Gordon that was the geologist? And yep. did all the, the rock sample testing. and That was him. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to meet the guy. I've, I've met his, obviously, his uh, daughter is the winemaker now for Sonoma Vineyards. Oh, okay. But he was the guy who was the pioneer yeah. to get this. And he's still around. He's still alive and kicking, from yeah. what I've heard. I'd love to meet him. And, and Didn't, I, I think U of A recognized him last year at some event. I, I heard about making, that, too. I might be making that up. Um, no, I, I heard that, too. Was, I don't know what the event was. It was, it was I can't remember who. I think it was the... The wine association, Arizona Wine Growers Association, yeah. to put on the event. And they recognized him and Kent Calligan and a couple others. I think that was the same event. Anyway, someone will know would correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, what do you think, Eric? I like it. This is this is really good. I do yeah. prefer reds. Um, yeah. I mean, I cannot differentiate taste or anything like that. Like you said, though, I know that I like it. That's yeah. like That's, I said. You yeah. can be super geeky about it, like I am, but you don't have to be. It's booze. Yeah. It's not rocket science. Yeah. And so many people come into the tasting room and are like timid, like, I don't know the words and I don't, I, I, I don't sound cool enough and, and I'm afraid to, to show you how stupid I am. And it's like, it's okay. Also a direct quote. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> you I, just proved I, it. I, yeah, pretty much. Um, but, you know, my whole thing is, again, I like to, to make wine more approachable. And while I'm a super geek about it, I don't expect you to be. Um, I expect you just to, to learn what you like. Yeah. And that's yeah. all you really need to know. If you want to go further from there, do it. If you don't, that's okay. Yeah. So I'll give Cody a plug here because uh, it's one of the things that I love about going into their tasting room is the balance that he has between, like I've seen him do it. I've seen him just sit with people. Here's this. Let me tell you a little bit about it. And they're clearly like, I'm good. Yeah. And But as soon as you show, tell me a little bit more about it, it is the perfect floodgate of relevant information. I just, I, I always enjoy coming into your tasting room and, and chatting with you. Thank you. And where's so, it? Where's that? Where's your, so the winery I work for does have a tasting room in old town, Scottsdale, Salvatore vineyards. Okay. Uh, where I work is either passion cellars in Jerome or cabal cellars in Jerome. Uh, both are wines made by all, or I should say all three labels are Jason DeMonico, who's the winemaker. Um, cabal is more of an employee, themed so we call the shots and we design the labels and we tell jason hey you should make a dry moscato to fuck with people type thing <laughs> um which we did and it's glorious oh, and i love nice. seeing people come in they're like oh i don't like moscato the moscato is too sweet and horrible i mean just, just 
Just try it. Or the I mean, opposite. I love Moscato. I love Moscato. It's so sweet. <laughs> and invariably, the people that are like, I love Moscato. It's so sweet. They're like, this isn't Moscato. <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's 100% Moscato of Alexandria. It's a Moscato. Except it's a Spanish style because in southern Spain they do dry Moscato. You just don't see them very often in the States. I'm like, oh, I hate this. Yeah. <laughs> and then the people are like, I hate Moscato. They're like, what is this? Really? This is Moscato. I love it. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. Moscato That's can be cool. good. <laughs> where is, is, is it the same space? Uh, so Cabal? Cabal is I, where I our old tasting room used to be. Oh, so that just happened when So that just moved. happened six months ago. Okay. Um, the Passion Cellars Chase Room and Drone moved up above the police station, and it also has an outdoor patio. So if you yes. want to drink outside in the sun when it's not 102 in Jerome, <laughs> because as opposed to 112 yeah. 12 here <laughs> 15. Yeah. Um, you can do that. That's neat. How's the new space? Beautiful. Lots of natural light, lots of room for artwork. It's much more roomy. Okay. Uh, I kind of like the feel. It's got a more rustic, old world feel. And Cabal is very like industrial new world. All right. So should we uh, open up the, yeah, the yeah. beer? Yeah, let me I grab that. I think we should. Yeah. So you, you guys chat and I'll, uh, I'll go grab that. What do we got here? This is the San Diego Cerveza. Oh, look at that label. That's beautiful. Yeah. So they, they made this, a, like, they bottled it a while ago, right? Uh, yeah. So, so, uh, I actually just looked it up again because I wanted to be able to Wait. talk about it. And they do still have some hmm. in the tasting room. Really? Like uh, yeah. bottles or they like? Bottles. Uh. And, and it was still on tap last week when I was there. So it has a bottle cap on it and a cork. Yeah, it has a bottle cap and a cork because it's, it's so they're, they're billing it as the first um, kind of pure wine beer hybrid to be made in, in Arizona and released here. Um, so it's. It's a it's a saison beer base. I like saisons. Yeah, me too. And um, it is, and then they had two tons of the Sangiovese grapes from Dos Cabezas. and um, then uh, after the brew process, they aged it in an oak fooder. Uh, fooder so what's an what's a fooder? Uh, I don't even know if that's the proper pronunciation, but that's how I hear everyone else pronounce it. It's basically a giant barrel. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, kind of like a punchyon. Kind of. Uh, if I knew that what that was, I'd be able to <laughs> agree with you. Well, it's, a, it's a big oak barrel. Oh, yes. Yeah. Then absolutely, that's what it is. <laughs> they're huge. Uh, like, they're as big as like a fermenter yeah. like, in the yeah. brewing. Yeah. That, that's a, a punchyon, if I remember correctly. And um, so they aged it for eight months in one of their oak fooders that also had aged uh, Sonoran Prince. And uh, what's the one that they do uh, with the juniper? Um, they're just about to release it. Oh, I don't know. Is uh, it like a seasonal? Yeah, they, it, they do it once. That sounds delicious, actually. Yeah. It's um, shit. It's bothering me, and I'm going to have to look it up. But you, I, I you unpaused, it. correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's good. unpaused. Yeah, um, we always like to get all Chris's. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I was mostly <laughs> like, we, we, we don't want to miss the, the I'm really pop. Sh- I'm really <laughs> showing off right now how I had looked up this information before. <laughs> and uh, So anyway. Oh, wow, that yeah. was beautiful. <laughs> the, the label is beautiful, by the way. It's got that wheat stalks coming up. And actually, uh, again, showing my, my religious tradition, it reminds me it. of a lot of the emblemation on Orthodox priest vestments because you see grapes and wheat sheaths okay. on Orthodox vestments for, again, communion, bread and wine. Sure. Um, oh, that's interesting. Okay. So that, that just, again, it speaks to me, you. Yeah, it speaks to me. <laughs> religious love. So, um,. <laughs> Let's see how this sounds. 
Oh, dude, people pay money for that sound bite right God, there. Yeah, <laughs> you do. There you go, sir. The color is just beautiful, too. It reminds me, again, of a Sangiovese Rosé. So uh, the color, specifically, was the reason why they said uh, they used a clear bottle for this. I can see that. Um, oh, I'm handing you the wrong thing. <laughs> you don't have to pour your own here. Ah, <laughs> oh, thanks, buddy. Um, yeah, they said they were so happy with how it had turned out. Uh, Chase, the head brewer, made the suggestion that they should put it in clear bottles. Can I see that? And cork it. So it spent eight months in the fooder and then um, two months bottle conditioned before they released it. Yeah. So what does bottle conditioning do for a, uh, a beer? Uh, that's a fantastic question that I wish I could answer. I know it, it's partly it continues to ferment in the bottle. And, um, but in terms of what that means in a finished product, I can't, I can't really say. It's, I know Sierra Nevada did that for... I, 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 they might still do it with their bottles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 not uncommon for for breweries to do that. Um, but as as far as like the specific results of what happens after you know what with the finished product, I can't really speak like to what that. The benefits are yeah, yeah. Maybe a fresher beer, possibly. Sure. Maybe right? I, I can make a whole bunch of shit up. <laughs> I'm, I'm really good at that. <laughs> we do have the Googles. We do have the Googles. We do have. We the could Googles. use the Googles. We'll, 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 I'll look that up. And, uh, uh, we'll I was out. I was just listening to the uh, to the the tap and bottle episode and. Looking stuff up on your phone was what the the third rudest thing that you could do. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, according to David Arts. Yeah, uh, probably the click and click of the the cameras. I'm taking the fifty oh, bajillion no, no, pictures is fine. not helping either. That's fine. Okay, so cheers. Uh, I'll Jamal. send these uh, pictures to you by the way. Oh, perfect. When we're ah, cheers. Done. That's beautiful. So that way you can use so, them for. Eric, I know, well, has already had this one. Perfect. Yeah, this is going to be a completely and new experience. I me. have held off for this event, so I have not ah. had this yet. So, Cheers. Cheers. Beautiful. Double cheers over there. Double cheers. Yeah, I don't deserve that <laughs> one. <laughs> I think I had it the day it was out. Like that the, or It was the day before the bottle release. How much know. is this selling for uh, a bottle, by the way? Oh, God, that's good. Uh, oh, man. $24. Okay. Yeah, so. About, about a the same price as an average yeah. Arizona wine. Yep. That's good. So I don't know if uh, smelling a beer is any different than smelling a wine. I approach smelling beers the yeah, same way Yeah, you definitely should approach yeah. it the same. Um, so it's uh, Mike and Dustin said with, uh, instead of like with wine where you kind of bury your nose into the glass and really you just kind of hover over the top. Do a flyby. Do a flyby. I'm getting some of those same red fruit notes. Definitely. Uh, the, the raspberry especially and a little bit of uh, white cherry. Mm-hmm. Uh, much lighter. Much later. I'm also getting that, that strong sort of yeasty character, which yep. you, you can uh, definitely obviously smell, is Saison. Yeah, you can definitely smell the Saison underneath it. And I'm also getting like grapefruit peel. Oh, interesting. Which actually is a, a pretty standard note in a lot of Sangiovese Rosé also. Okay. That's good. Yeah, that's, that's a great Oh, word. that's fun. Yeah. 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 A little bit s- uh, sour. Yep. By yeah. design. Yeah, my design, and I normally don't like sour beers, but this I would also say is not a sour beer. Eric, Eric can agree with you there. I always say I don't like them, but then I always then, end then up liking them. Then you end up them, liking yeah. them after the fact. <laughs> yeah. My friends on uh, one particular Facebook drinking group, which I think you're in, maybe. Uh, Happy hour of the Winchester. Yes, yes. Uh, I have no idea who added me to that group, but thank you. I'm uh, in there too. Stranger. I think. I mean, I think Hi, Winchesties. Yeah, because yeah. <laughs> you're all gonna see this posted. One of us will share it, if not all three of us, just to probably all three of us. you. Um, 
So, sup, what, sup chesties? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, let's go back. To but they always quick. like, show us your sour beer face. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's always hysterical. It's like, <laughs> it's like literally my face like trying to climb away as fast as it can from the taste in my mouth. Po- from my mouth. <laughs> but this mm. is lovely. It's yeah, this is this is like beautiful summer drinking. That's a great beer. It's a great beer. It's almost a porch pounder. Uh, but the, the, the sourness and the acidity really lends itself to pausing and enjoying rather than just like yeah. downing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it is 9.1%. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we're in the middle of the road. By comparison, the Toscano is... 14-something? 14 14.4. 14. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... I mean... I love the concept, first of all. And it's not the first time that they've done a beer with Dos Cabezas grapes. I, I think it was last year, as part of the Old Growth Forest series, they released a, a sour that also had Dos Cabezas grapes, but I believe it was Mavedra. Instead of Sangiovese. And I don't have any more of that. Otherwise, we'd be opening that one, too. But uh, tell us what you think, uh, other than light and fun. and It's good. Light, (laughs) fun, and good. Um, Let me drink some more to uh, refresh my memory here. Let me drink a little bit more. So I'm getting this, uh, a character that I associate with Saison, Mm -hmm. uh, especially that sort of, like, sour... It's hard to describe, like sour lemon almost. Mm-hmm. And there, there's even like a, a hint of like bay leaf yeah, underneath there. Sour lemon and... bay leaf, which is something I associate with Saison in general. Mm-hmm. Whenever I smell that, it's like, and taste that, it's like, ah, Saison. Mm. That's one of the few beers I can recognize. Right. Like, oh, I know this one. <laughs> uh, and it also reminds me a little bit of the Dandelion Saison I had a couple weeks ago at... Uh, Dandelion Saison. Yes, yeah. at Dark Sky. Okay. I love that place. Yeah. I had that. That was good. I, I had that. Yeah, as well. I was yeah. like, oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. Which, okay. which is the one thing I really love about Dark Sky is that it's just like you're like, there's no fucking way this would work. Oh, it works. Yeah. <laughs> Why? Yeah. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Why? So, uh, so in, in the brewing process, that you know, what makes it a saison is you use saison yeast, and if what makes a Belgian is Belgian yeast, and in, and then you know water profiles and, and specific uh, grain that you want to to get a prof- product. Is that similar in winemaking? Do you use specific yeast strains to get a certain kind of result? Or yes, actually, it is a big thing. There are certain yeasts that are also kind of designed to enhance specific flavors. Also, some yeasts that are kind of designed for specific grapes. Um, so there's, like, specific yeasts that were designed for, like, say, Sauvignon Blanc. Okay. Um, or there's probably a yeast that's designed for Sangiovese. Um if there is, I, I don't know the strain. I don't know the yeast strains off the top of my head. I don't know why uh, we invited you here. There's one that I saw a, a <laughs> picture of a in a catalog. It was called OK. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just want to use that in a wine at some point and be like, yeah, this, mm-hmm. was, this yeast was OK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably an acronym for something, yeah. but I don't know what. But it's that's, just like, that's great. That, that's just like, no, no, it's not great. It's OK. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just walked right into that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about uh, so I know people like um, but there are also different yeasts that are sourced from different regions too like uh-huh. so some people like here in Arizona a lot of people I've noticed like to use Rhone yeasts okay because they're using a lot of Rhone varietals 
Um, there's only a few people that are experimenting with wild ferment yeast. Uh, I was going to bring that up. So I know James Callahan. James does. Callahan and Gary Kurtz are the only two that I okay. know of that are experimenting uh, 100% with native yeasts so and native mallow. Are they harvesting? <laughs> are they are they like cultivating off of vines? Or are they just doing like an open? So for in in brewing in the brewing world, like a, you'll do like an open cool ship and just let natural yeast in the wild start to now there was start one to inoculate your beer. Is wine it the that same was done process? that way by okay. accident at Page Springs, and that, and that was a wild ferment Barbera that tasted just like uh, a Belgian lambic, sour and everything. Okay. And I was just like, I, I don't like this at all. Uh, and <laughs> I think I commented that on, on the post I made, but, but followed by, if you like Belgian lambics, then find a bottle of this. You will love it. Oh, uh, interesting. So they still marketed it as a wine, yeah. wild ferment, but... Yeah, and it was only okay. like, I want to say like two barrels worth, and it's long gone from the taste room. Sure. I but uh, it's a wild ferment Barbera, and it was from Bowie, so you know, you know that even now, it's, with Bowie gone, it's yeah, going to be never a hard be, find. Right. Um, what I know James Callahan and Gary do is they'll cultivate the yeast that's on... Oh, there's a Kerrville Thrasher outside. Oh, yeah. They're, they're common here. Sorry. Attention. No, no, no worries. <laughs> attention deficit is shiny. Um, so what they'll do is they'll cultivate basically the starter yeast off of white grapes that are in the vineyard. Um, either Malvasia, Roussan, mm-hmm. or Symphony, based on which vineyard they're sourcing from, whether it's Pillsbury or a different vineyard. Um, or if it's a white wine that's a wild ferment, he'll just use the yeast that's on that plot, like the Chardonnay that he's uh, got in barrel, but he's not bottling it yet. He's uh, going to make another Chardonnay this year and maybe blend the two together and oh, do a different okay. style with that. Where's he from? Uh, Gary is making wine for Four Tails Vineyard, okay. as well as his own label, Greater, Greater Than, than. Wines. Yeah. Okay. Um, James Callahan is doing Rune and Pillsbury. And um, Dark okay. Sky, right? And Dark Sky now, that's right. I yeah. keep forgetting. He's, he's Dark Sky. Uh, Dark Sky. Not Dark Sky. Uh, Sorry, Deep, Deep Sky. Sky. Deep Sky. Deep okay. Sky. I get those two confused all the fucking time, <laughs> so you are not I, the only one. I never do it, except for always. <laughs> <laughs> except for every single time. Every single yeah. time. Like, uh, we have a Malbec in the tasting room at, at Passion that I almost, uh, I have to constantly think, this is from Dark Sky Vineyard. And like pause with my hand going, wait, which one is this? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> the other one. The yeah. other one. Not the beer one. Um, so, I mean, you are a beer drinker, too. I've seen, I am. I've seen the pictures. What's your go-to? What do you like? Uh, I tend to like porters and stouts or saisons, generally. Okay. I like, And it kind of depends on year. Uh, the time of year, I should say. Sure. And that actually goes into something, one of my few geeky wine, um, sorry, one of my few geeky beer facts I know is that saisons were basically a summer and fall beer in Belgium. Basically, you would pay your workers in saison. You would make them and they would bring in the hay and whatever and the crop from the field and you would give them, it's like, here's your pint for the day, dude. Nice. Uh, Back in the day. Interesting. I'm on board for that. I would work for beer. I j- Which explains I'd, why Saison is I so basically refreshing. basically do work for And beer. also a little salty because it's going to replenish your electrolytes sure. from a lot of exercise. Yeah. Uh, that you've been doing all that hard work in the field. And I'm getting almost a little bit of a sea salt character on this too. Hmm. Interesting. Oh, yeah. interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, now that, I mean, there's no way to sound like I'm not just agreeing with you. But I, when you name it, it clicks. Like, yeah. Like I you're thinking it. that, but then, yeah, yeah. It's like, so, oh, what is this guy? Do I really I don't know taste what it that, is. or am I tasting that because he told me right. I'm tasting that? And now it's just a weird philosophical debate that I don't want to go into. Aw, so. but I like philosophical <laughs> debates. Yeah. We can do that on a different podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So, how did the monk part come about? We so the monk part earlier. Oh yeah. So the monk part. <laughs> it's because the beer and the wine are excellent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the monk part came about as a result of my two years in seminary because I almost uh, became a priest, uh, Eastern Orthodox priest. So, you know, we can marry. Yeah. Um, our scandals are mostly financial or, or land-based because we have wives. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we don't need to fuck around with children um, <laughs> like the Catholics. Heart. Just... And anyway, <laughs> I pull moving on forward. Um, <laughs> but uh, I realized that I would be a horrible priest for a lot of different reasons, and I, I realized my heart wasn't into it. Um, I knew it was either going to be wine or priesthood in the long run uh, for me. And so when that whole situation failed and I ended up coming back from my two years in exile in Boston uh, for seminary, uh, it's like, okay, well, I'm back in Cottonwood again. Oh, joy. <laughs> then, wait a minute, the wine scene here has boomed and exploded in just the two years I was gone. This is great, because when I tried before, I couldn't get a job to save my life in the wine industry, and that's what I wanted. Um, so it's like, okay, I'm going to start hitting up tasting rooms and, and seeing if they need people, and then that's how I got into passion. And so basically that wine, the monk aspect is, uh, as much as I joke about living alone on the top of a mountain um, and being... Unfortunately, celibate. Um, <laughs> not in, for lack of involuntary. In, no, I'm not an incel by any stretch of the imagination. I hate those assholes. Uh, they're, they're giving us people who just can't get laid for the life of them a bad name. <laughs> um, uh, unlike them, I actually respect my, my female friends immensely. And, sure. Uh, it actually, hilariously enough, brings me back to a seminary story where a lot of the men in seminary thought that I was a man whore because I could talk to women like they were normal people, and they <laughs> couldn't understand that. What is this magic? <laughs> How can you go up to a woman and talk to them about anything? anything? <laughs> How does he do that? Because I'm not an asshole. <laughs> I'm an asshole in a different way. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, more seriously, um, I, actually, more seriously, I completely forgot where our fucking train of thought was. That's uh, all right. The monk thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> while being celibate, actually, now I am kind of celibate because the dating pool in the Verde Valley is so slim, and I don't want to get involved in things I don't want to get involved sure. with and shouldn't get involved with. Fair enough. Uh, simply because my last relationships have been, hmm. This has failed spectacularly. I wonder why. Oh, it's because of my approach to relationships. I should take a break for a while. <laughs> hmm. A little reflection. A little reflection and, and contemplation like monks do. Yeah. Um, but that's before the monk thing. But basically, TLDR, um, monk is a connection to my religious background. Uh, as a former seminarian who almost became a priest, realized it was not their calling after all. So I went into, as I like to say, the literal vineyard as opposed to the metaphorical one. Nice. So you live in Jerome as well? I do. How long have you been there? I have lived in Jerome now for almost five years. What is living in Jerome like? Quiet, for the most part. Uh, surprisingly. You okay. think that with all the tourists around, it's loud. Once you get off of the main streets where I live, I live on a side street, uh, it's pretty quiet. There's like four side streets. Yeah. Six. But <laughs> yeah. Okay, six. <laughs> <Whatever>. <laughs> Technically. 
Technically, technically, I think there's like eight, but whatever. Yeah. I'm always jealous of your sunrise and sunset yeah. photos. I have that a great view. view. I have a tiny little unmatched. bachelor pad apartment that's, I you know. S- I should say sunrise. You don't see the sunset. No, but, well, but we have shadow rise instead of sunset. You do. Uh, uh, which basically you see the su- as the sun sets behind Mingus Mountain, the shadow of the mountain just crawls slowly across the Verde Valley. Uh, and then at some cool. one point, just before it goes away, all of those red rocks along the Mugion Rim of Sedona just glow uh, like they're on fire. And it's, it's glorious. It's gorgeous. That view is my f- one of my favorite views. Yeah, I love that of view. Arizona. I, I know eventually I will have to leave that view um, for one reason or another, either because I've found someone who's actually willing to spend the rest of their life with me and you know they won't fit in that apartment or sure. moving to Tucson or Sonoida or something mm-hmm. um, or Wilcox even, who knows. Is that yeah. because you want to be close to the grapes? Or? Close, it would be nice to be closer to the grapes. And, uh, you know, Sonoida is a whole different ball game. Uh, I love the Sonoida landscape. It's yeah. kind of like Rohan out of Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it totally is. Because <laughs> you've got those hills of rolling oh, gra- yeah. grass Especially and then that, the mountains behind it. Uh, you just expect to see, like... It, there should just be, like, a like herd James of horsemen. Callahan and the riders of Rohan, right? like... With grapes on their banners, like, <laughs> like, Adoras, 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 it's only a model. Oh, man. <laughs> but that, that, Let us ride to Rune. <laughs> yeah, because his view is it. <laughs> I just saw a community theater play of Spamalot, yes, by the way. Um, so, but like the, the view from Rune, his, his God, space yes. is unmatched in that area. Yeah. It is gorgeous. That's one of the two reasons why Rune is probably my favorite Sonoida tasting room. Um, uh, the other being is that the wines are really fucking good. Also, yes. Uh, <laughs> and th- reason three is his labels are amazing, too. Oh, yeah. The, as the much as I don't like to judge a winery has. based on labels, you can judge Rune based on labels because oh, the labels are fucking amazing. And it's absolutely the same thing in the beer world. Can art is a thing that people yeah. seek out. I mean, you see, oh, yeah. some, some wineries do beautiful art, and the wines there are horrible, um, <laughs> as evidenced by most of the wines that my parents brought for me between the ages of 15 and 19. <laughs> Is that because they didn't know how to pick or because they were just buying what was cheap and looked cool? I think it was both. Okay. Um, because I was also asking for weird things like, uh, oh, hey, I keep reading about this thing called Souvenirs. Can you find one? No one can ever find a Souvenirs anywhere. <laughs> Newsflash. It isn't even a total wine. Although, weirdly enough... Um, Complete foods, as I like to jokingly call them. Thanks. <laughs> Complete foods. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ron Swanson, for that, actually. That was good. Uh, that Complete was good. foods has a, a Sauvignon's from 2015 at a, an affordable price. <laughs> brought to you uh, by Amazon. Brought to you by Amazon. Um, so, so <laughs> Who is not a sponsor of this podcast, by the way. Please go with mine. I would be open to the sponsorship. If you're willing to offer. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you're going to a beer, if, if you're... In the mood for a beer, do you go down the hill and go to State Bar? Is State, that your, bar. Yeah. State Bar. State yeah. Bar. Before State Bar existed, I would go to 4-8 because they would have sure. you know, five yeah. rotating taps. Yep. But now that uh, State moving. Bar is open, they're moving up to Jerome. I did Okay, I, I saw they were moving, uh, but I didn't see I, where. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but... If not, let us the, know. I'll the sign is, you know, in the fucking window. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's, For that's, a liquor license. And then to clarify, that's 4-8 that's moving, not State Bar. Yes. State Bar is my favorite drinking hole in the entire Verde Valley, if not the entire state of Arizona. It's such a... Have you been to Cottonwood? Not, no, I have not. So yeah, they also have one in Flagstaff, which is the first one. Yep. Yes. And, I've been to and that Brian one, yeah. Webb, ironically enough, who is the, the founder of the State Bar phenomenon, I went to grade school and high school with. Nice. So when he came into the tasting room at Passion to get some bottles for it, it's just like, we're looking at each other like, we know you. I know, we know I each know other. You. You are Where do, how do we know each other? Where? 
where have we met? And, it, and in this case, it was that legitimate, you actually knew each other, not yeah. that weird, awkward, you look familiar, but really I'm just staring too long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, wait, you went to Centennial? You went to Skyview? You went to Paseo Verde? So did I. Oh, you were the one who had the band, the punk band down on Haley. Oh, you were the bird guy. Because yeah. <laughs> back then, my obsession with birds. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, it was birds and then booze, yeah. pretty much. That's a good passion, though. Yeah, I still am. Good combo. Yeah, you're still definitely in the... my random outbursts on birds outside the window. <laughs> or the stream of bird pictures in your Instagram. Yes, I have two Instagrams, by the way. Um, one of them is purely for booze. Um, the other is mostly for everything else, but still has booze. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, these are artistic pictures of booze that, don't ma- that didn't make it into the final cut for the vlog, so I'm going to post these here, yeah. so that way they're at least out in the wild. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So, so uh, as we kind of wrap stuff up, I, I want to talk a little bit just about Arizona as a whole. I'm, I, I love what's happening in Arizona, and I have for, for a long time. And it, it's happening, especially in the spirit scene, but at the food scene and the all of that. The spirit scene is also getting there, and there's some good spirits I, in I mean, Arizona, yeah, too. And, and yeah. I say spirits as like an umbrella for the fact that there are just phenomenal distilled spirits coming out of Arizona. Have there's you tasted anything yet wine. out of Flying Leap oh, distillery oh, yet? Oh, yeah. So I've, I have I've a got, cocktail. I've got three bottles in that little thing right there. So, so I have a cocktail suggestion. Uh, for those listeners in the podcast. Yes. Um, I refer to it as the Sky Island. It's a martini. I use, um, it's the same ratio of vermouth to gin. Okay. Uh, I use the Flying Leap Lavender U to V. Which is gorgeous. Yes. And then for the gin, I either use the Three Wills Distillery Gin. Okay. Or the Commerce Gin. Oh, yeah. Commerce is great. Both of those gins are, I think, the top echelon of gins in Arizona right now. Caskworks is fun, too, but I have a different cocktail for the Caskworks rose gin. Okay. Excuse me. Um, But anyway, and then the mix, stir. The only thing that's not Arizona usually is the olive. Right. Um, uh, There are a few places they get olives, but none of them are to be found in the Verde Valley. (laughs) Yeah, they're they're all out in Queen Creek about 25 minutes that way. Yes. But uh, I I don't feel like even going that far today, even though I'm almost there. That's (laughs) a haul for you. (laughs) So, and and the only other place I know of that does olives is St. Anthony's Monastery, which is the Greek Orthodox Monastery in Florence. And I always feel weird going in there and getting a jar of olives because I feel like the monks are going to ask, what are you going to do with them? Martinis. Lots and lots (laughs) Lots of of martinis. martinis. And they'll probably be like, tempanade. Just a tempanade. That's They'd all. probably yeah. like scallop me like that, <laughs> submitting to the passions. No martinis for you, especially during Lent. <laughs> They'd probably know who you are too. It's a goddamn wine monk. He's back. I also feel awkward being the wine monk and going to an actual monastery because yeah. I feel like they're gonna be like, "You're not a real monk." <laughs> Liar! <laughs> it's, it's telling a story. Yeah. <laughs> Just give me this one thing. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, so but but that's my Arizona cocktail recipe, by the way, which uh, I love. You're, yeah. you're welcome. I will definitely make that. Yeah, if you I'll have do. the materials here, I can make uh, them for you. I absolutely do. It's I have uh, Elgin from Elgin Distilleries. Okay. I have the lavender. Okay. Uh, the lavender brandy from, and I have olives. Wait. the... Elgin Distillery does a gin too. Yes, they do, and it's called El Gin. Oh. <laughs> I've so, not tried that gin, so we we're going to be having martinis after this. I'm going with that. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And maybe cigars. But, but that so that that's exactly <laughs> my point. There's there's 
there are, is high quality spirits coming out of Arizona. There is world class wine coming out of Arizona. There's world class beer coming out of Arizona. It's it's. Uh, I think it was it was you that said it in a previous episode. Like all of in in the beer world, people are chasing after Trillium and Monkish and all of those stuff coming out of Arizona is just as good as any of those cans. Yeah. I feel very similar in the wine. I feel, yeah. I feel absolutely similar in this, this distilled spirits, but I kind of want to get your take in, in the time that you've been in the, in the Arizona wine industry. Well, and I actually have part. a story about a bottle that describes the change in the Arizona industry perfectly. So long, long, long ago in a state, <laughs> absolutely where we are now, right now, uh, there was a winery called Cocapelli winery. They I'm familiar. used to own what is now Benita Springs Vineyard. Oh, okay. Uh, that was their vineyard originally before mm-hmm. uh, Glomsky bought it. Um, back in the day, that's where they were making their wines. And they were my first Arizona wine I ever tasted uh, and bought with my own cash, because apparently that's a big deal now, on my 21st birthday, nice. uh, was their Gewurztraminer okay. uh, from Cocapelli. And it was horrible. <laughs> it was like boiled... Asparagus and Brussels sprouts and sweetness and like rotten, oh rotten lychee and just horrible. Ugh. And <laughs> it, it was so bad, it took me another year to try another Arizona wine. Wow. Um, so, fast forward to about uh, two years ago now, the uh, Arizona winemakers, or not winemakers, the, the Arizona Wine Growers Association Symposium. Okay. Wine of the Year. Um, was a Kavritstraminer from Vineyard Springs Vineyard. Hmm. Same vines, same vineyard, just years apart, different winemakers. A winemaker who knew their stuff, Corey Turnbull, mm-hmm. uh, people who actually knew how to manage a vineyard properly, uh, the stronghold team down there. And it was a beautiful Kavritstraminer, the best Kavritstraminer I've ever tasted outside of Alsace. And I um, remember tasting this in at the end of after recording a, a podcast with Corey and uh, John Scarborough. And telling them, if you submit this for any competitions, uh, it's going to win. Because this is beautiful. This is nice. like something out of Europe. This is a, a stellar world-class Gewürztraminer that's not going to be what anyone expects to find in, in Arizona. It's a, a vintage that's probably for, for that vineyard or for any vineyard in Arizona for Gewürztraminer because it's not a grape that grows super well here in Arizona. Um, uh, once every four-year vintage. So... You know, milk that for all it's worth. And then when he told me that, oh, yeah, we used to, that used to be the fucking uh, Cocapelli vineyards, I'm just like, what? (laughs) (laughs) But that was home to the worst coverage terminator I ever tasted in my life. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) That's that's a great story. And so, yeah, here, that just shows what one vineyard and, and, you know, almost now. At that point in time, you know, 15 plus years of experience with Arizona vineyards, with Arizona winemaking, with Arizona winemakers, what we've, how far we've come. Sure. You know, we've, we've crawled from, you know, a gag, literally and figuratively. Right. Uh, to <laughs> something that you could set next to the vast Gewurztraminers coming from the old world. And even a French bin would go, oh, this is pretty good. <laughs> Which is about as high a praise as you can have. About for. as high as, <laughs> as praise as you can get from a Frenchman. Yeah. Um, but that, I think, that one wine, and I still have two bottles left in my cellar of that um, because I'm hoarding those just because Conversion Wiener is one of the few whites that ages well. Oh, okay. Um, FYI. Yeah, um, I didn't know that. For mm-hmm. anyone who cares or wants to know. There's um, people out there that do. Absolutely. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that's that, that. That perfectly illustrates what I'm talking yeah. about. And and as these industries have been growing, one of the one of the really um, 
in the beer world, one of the prominent things that we see happening is lots of collaborations. Yeah. Breweries and getting I like together. That. I wish more wineries would do collaborations. So that, that's that's a question I wanted to ask you. The do, only do collaboration you... winery or wine label that I know of um, that's kind of in stasis right now is... Uh, Kindred? Kindred. Yeah. And I would love to see more winemakers do a Kindred-style label. Yeah. I would like to see the Kindred label expand, but um, so because you... of the pause involved with uh, all of the... All of that. All of that. Sure. Um, you know, it's kind of on hold, and I wish that more winemakers would approach that so as I, a collaboration. I want to know, like, if, from your standpoint, why do you think that is? Why do you, do you My think there's theory, a difference? My theory, and there? I have two, um, one of the theories is probably going to get me shot, uh, <laughs> is that I feel that a lot of winemakers in Arizona have a higher ego than they should have. Fair enough. And don't work well together. That's and they have feuds with each other, which they shouldn't have. Right, uh, because it's pointless. Because here's you, the thing: Do you think that's because it's still relatively a young scene? Potentially, but I also think that some people, you know, it's like any group of people. You know, some people naturally have, you know, a very high, wide head full of air and self opinion of themselves, and and aren't as humble uh, as perhaps you know they should be. And I say that you know maybe. Uh, as someone who is Orthodox, because uh, humility is a big thing in Orthodox Christianity. Um, so maybe that's just my own religion talking. Um, but number two, I think, is just that uh, it's hard to figure out how you would split the financial proceeds from that. And there's also not as much... It's harder to make wine than it is beer. And so it's okay. harder to sure. do a collaboration with wine for that reason, because, okay, we've got to figure out, well, I don't want to give away this barrel because this is going to be my prize. Right. Um, but you can use that barrel. That barrel is not as good, but it doesn't work with this barrel here. So I think there's a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> also a direct quote. Uh, involved with trying to do a collaboration wine in Arizona. That, that you can quote me directly on that if you can figure out how to spell it. <laughs> I can come up with something like oh, that. Yeah. Yeah. Chris is going to start transcripting Arizona episodes. Arizona wine. Arizona wine monk. Fair enough. Yeah. Arizona wine. Arizona wine monk. So I think that's the big reason, bigger than even egos, because even if you have uh, a huge ego that doesn't, uh, and people that don't get along, you know, money always will talk and be like, oh, okay, yeah, I will deign to work with this person. Sure. Mm. But the the other thing that's harder is just the difficulty in making wine and the difficulty in saying, oh, I'm going to make this barrel of Syrah, but this winery over here wants to do a uh, Tanat and donate, well, this vineyard over here is donating a Malvasia. And it's just like, Fuck, how am I supposed to do a blend with these three grapes? <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. So it's, you know, that's the other thing is that it's easier to collab on a style of beers and mix different beers together or work together in one brewery right. for a collab beer. Like, say, you know, uh, throwing this out here, that brewery working with Arizona Wilderness, working with you know, Iron John's down in... Sure. Tucson, it's like, okay, well, we'll make it at that brewery because they've got all of the big things. And John Scarborough will say, well, I want to do this and then there and there. And it's okay. Okay, let's throw it in the tank together because we can do that. Right. You uh, can come up with a recipe beforehand easily. and buy all the pieces. And yeah. Then, okay. Int- I, I think I, that's, those are that's my an interesting three insight. Yeah. theories on why collab wines are, are rare in Arizona. All right. Uh, so but I'm also not aware of, aware of any real winemakers in California doing it either. And no, one would think no, that no, no. California would I don't be the think easy place to do it. 
Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, everyone and their fucking mother has a vineyard in California. Mm. That is definitely yeah. true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's, that's, that's a really good point. I didn't mean to make it sound like it was a unique thing to, to, uh, no, to Arizona. I, no, but I was just thinking about that. It's like, well, do I know anyone in California doing this? Yeah, it's, no. It's just not something that you see in the wine world. And, and the Kindred is the only thing, which I have two bottles of. Oh, I have none left and, anymore. Uh, Sad. And, and it's the only... It was the... F- First and only collaboration that I know of, and it's a yeah, gorgeous and wine. D- yeah, and they did two different vintages. Mm-hmm. One was a GSMM blend, mm-hmm. a just mmm blend, <laughs> uh, Grenache Syrah, Mouvedre, and a little bit of Malvasia in okay. a co-ferment. And the other one was a, a Tempranillo Cab blend. Um, all right, so last question, we'll end with this. Okay. Where do you see this industry going? What's, what's the, the next? What's the, what's the future? I think we'll start seeing more barrel-aged, long-term aged Arizona wines, because that's one thing that we don't have much of in Arizona. Very few labels can do that because we got to make money, and you can't right. make money on wine that's in barrel. Um, you have to sell it all the tasting room, right. and it's you can do what some wineries do in France and Bordeaux. It's like oh, we'll sell futures, but that's a, a very risky thing. Sure. But I think as we get more tasting rooms and more, you know, and wine production ramps up and more vineyards come online, more wineries have their own vineyards and have their own grapes and have their own grapes to stockpile, so to mm-hmm. metaphorically speaking, I say stockpile as in barrel finished project product, mm-hmm. you can age these more long term. And then you'll see, you know, wines like Brunello and, you know, wines that are aged, I should say, like Brunello or Rioja, where you have wines that are in barrel for five, six years before release. Or Brunello de Montalcino, mm-hmm. Sangiovese, the rules say this has to be in new French oak, a minimum and minimum is 30 months. Right. And then most people age it in neutral oak after that for, you know, years. So you can do that if you have the supply. And sure. Jason DeMonaco, the winemaker I work for, is, is starting that with the Salvatore line. It's kind of the idea is that these are the long-term aged wines that you can also hold on to. And we're also, I think, see wines in the long run that can age longer. Um, already there's some wines in Arizona that can age a fairly long time, but we'll see... You know, comparable, like, oh, you can hold on to this Tanat for 50 years, like you could mm. uh, a Mandaran AOC Tanat from France, that sort of thing. Uh, I think we'll also see more divisions in Arizona wine. Really? Yes, you'll have some that are going to be like the equivalent of almost like the low end, like, you know, rough, and this is not to disparage, mm-hmm. you know, stuff like the Gallo equivalent or the, the Woodbridge oh, okay. equivalent. I see what you mean by divisions. Versus, sure. say, like, you know, like Screaming Eagle equivalent to Napa, you know, where it's $1,000 a bottle. Uh, I think at some point there will be $1,000. Mark my words, there will be a $1,000 bottle of Arizona wine, and it will be Maynard who does it. Okay. I'm willing to lay money on that. Why? Because Maynard is the only one right now who has the name that could do that. Uh, Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and his wines are good enough to do that. But yeah. That's but, a good point, though. Like, but also, he has the name that, that he could pull a, a quote-unquote stunt like that. Yeah. Sure. My, all he needs is a, a perfect score or a near-perfect score, Judith, and then he Judith, could be like, yeah. yeah, this bottle of Judith. Because uh, even some of the older vintages of Judith are several hundred dollars yeah. right now. You know, it's like this it's is not a far stretch. 98-point Judith mm-hmm. um, from Jerome, you know, two barrels worth. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a $1,000 bottle. You want it, you got to pay for it. Whatevs. That's me. So that the, the having but a I name th- for himself yeah. is, is a good point. How does... How does Arizona wine grow outside of Arizona? How does it get that name? Word of mouth. And I I can tell you a story on this, actually, also related, ironically enough, to Sangiovese. 
Um, tangent before I go into that story, though, uh, I think in the long run we will also see Arizona wines become a lot like the Arizona industry will become a lot like California. Okay. Um, not near. It will never be as big as California because water is an issue. Right. Um, that's Which just is a fact. Also a problem for them, but it's it's a bigger a problem, problem for us in the long run. Right. Uh, than it is in California. Uh, I think we'll see, you know, even Wilcox will become like Napa, where you've got wineries everywhere and people staying and, and tourism. You can see it starting. Specifically. You can definitely you see, can it see it starting. You can see it starting, but some, it's going to be like that. And that's the other thing I mean when I say there. a division in sort of labels where you'll have like the, the, the cheap stuff that is run-of-the-mill that you will see in restaurants mm-hmm. versus, you know, the high-end, high-echelon, super expensive bottles. That's what I kind of mean by, mm-hmm. by that continuation. So word of mouth is how it's going to spread. So... Uh, the new assistant winemaker for Passion uh, is a woman uh, named Amber. Sorry. That's I all right. Spaced for a minute. That's cool. I, I knew it was there. I could see it. I, I, it's like, yeah, I knew her. There's a bit of a buffering problem. It's cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I've seen this move. It's called buffering. <laughs> <laughs> so she came into the tasting room in Passion, and she was studying in Tuscany and knew nothing about Arizona wine. Fell in love with Arizona wine in the day she was in Rome to the point where she's like, I'm going to stay an extra day and visit more wineries here because this is glorious. I sent her home actually with my bottle of the Cimarron Sangiovese uh, that I got when I was bottling at Chateau Tumbleweed one day. And I said, take this to these winemakers that you're teaching, that you're learning from in Tuscany because that's Sangiovese country. I want to hear what they hear. And so Chateau Tumbleweed, a couple months later, gets this email in broken English. Uh, I am like winemaker from Tuscany. <laughs> um, I tasted your Sangiovese. It is best Sangiovese I've tasted outside of Tuscany. Um, I would be interested in talking with you more to hear how you make of the wine. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> or, or something like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, Chris was telling me, it's like, oh, I am winemaker like, from Tuscany. <laughs> That's pretty great. And so basically because I sent this bottle with a friend of mine and brand new friend that I would not known from Adam the day before she showed up in the tasting room. And, you know, it's like, oh, you're cool to hang out here. You need to take this back to Tuscany. I want to hear what Tuscan winemakers think. Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we'll get our word out is just people visiting and bringing word back home with them or people sending bottles to friends that are winemakers or eventually, you know, Wine Spectator will feature us in an article when we get our first 95-point wine, whatever that is. Sure. How about uh, organizations like the Vineyards Alliance? I think those Caduceus will help in the long run. Those bases are principal founders of. And but I also think in the long run, it's going to be word of mouth more that does it. Because okay. sometimes you, you can, it's honestly like religion. You can shove a religion down someone on their, <laughs> on their own, you know, right. enough. But if you hear too much about it, you're just going to block it out. Um, but if someone tells you about it organically or you try it yourself, right. it's going to be like, whoa. <laughs> You'll have like a, a, a Neo from Matrix, whoa moment. Uh, and that, I think, is what's going to convert people more than people preaching about it okay uh in the long run as much as i love the arizona vineyards alliance and i love what they're doing i love the information they're gathering yeah. i love them as an organization absolutely uh they are also not a sponsor of this podcast but uh, <laughs> and, and once again open uh, actually one of the things i would love to do for the ava is auction off a podcast that's a great idea Interesting. Uh, but i don't know who to talk to about that because so, i think that would be a fun thing because i, I I'm assuming people like to drink with me. I mean, clearly you yeah. all you all are here. I'm Absolutely. enjoying this. Yeah, yeah. It's, Cody, it's never not a good time. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, I got a question for you. So, where okay. where do you want to be? Like, where, where where do you want the Arizona Wine Monk to be? Like, what's your goals? 
That depends on how much money I have. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there are three answers to this question. Um, if I win big, big time in the lottery with my own vineyard, either in Sonoida, uh, Wilcox, I think, is going to bottom out, not bottom out, but uh, plateau quicker than the other regions because of water issues, because they have so much other farming involved right. in, in Wilcox. I think that it's growing exponentially now, but that growth has a stopping point, and it's in the foreseeable future. Elgin, because all of the other agriculture is ranching, mm-hmm. um, I think there's, there's a lot longer to go yet. But also, I think Chino Valley is going to start being mm, Arizona's okay. fourth wine region in the next five to ten years. So you've already got Del Rio Springs, which is producing, I think, the only consistently every year approachable, decent Pinot Noir in Arizona. And mm. everyone knows and loves Pinot Noir because sideways, not drinking any fucking Merlot. <laughs> I swear to God, if I had a dollar for every time someone quoted that line at the tasting room, I would have paid off my student loans like a year ago. <laughs> that does not surprise me at all. <laughs> but I think Chino Valley is going to boom, and it can grow different grapes than anywhere in Arizona. So it's going to have a different feel and flavor. That's going to be more like Burgundy. You'll have Chardonnays and uh, Rieslings and Gewürztraminers and... and Weird, obscure, hybrid varietals that do good shit. And I think Georgian varietals, I think, would are, are no-brainer there. And I want to grow... Fu- I want to see a Saparavi in Arizona in, in, within the next 10 years. I have no idea. Saparavi is. is one of my favorite varietals. It's a grape <laughs> okay. from Georgia that's like inky dark, almost black. Hmm. And it's cold-hardy and drought-tolerant. Oh. So it seems like a no-brainer it grape for Arizona. Like it's, and it's just like, yeah. why is no one growing this here? And it's not like it's unpronounceable. I mean, it's Georgian. <laughs> it's Georgian. It's spelled the same way it's pronounced. Yes, it looks weird, but, you know, it, it's pronounceable compared to a lot of other Georgian grapes like Riketsli. Gesundheit. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> um, so that would be like if I won the lottery or found a lot of big time investors and had, you know, 10 plus million dollars to play with. Um, idea number two is starting my own bottle shop. Featuring oh, nice. sure. not just Arizona wines, but wines from all over the world. And it's not going to be like uh, the, special, the special ed section where Arizona is on its own section. Right. You want to find an Arizona Ionico? Look with the fucking Ionico. Uh, you want to find an Arizona San Giovese? Don't look in the Arizona section. Don't look in the special ed section because we're not special ed. <laughs> <laughs> we do good shit here. Look in the fucking San Giovese section. Yeah. And then have winemakers come in like every other week and do presentations and that sort of thing. And be like a center point for selling Arizona wine. It would be ideally called the monastery, obvious being nice. me being the wine monk, or yeah, something clearly. monastic related as a name, mm-hmm. as yeah. kind of an in joke. Um, or um, wine spectator, if you're listening, uh, I would love to be like a special wine writer for like wine spectator or wine enthusiast or something, where I'm the guy that's rating wines for the American Southwest. Because oh, I think that would okay. be fun sure. and cool and interesting. There's definitely a market for it, too. Yeah, as our market booms and as New Mexico's market booms, right. because they're doing some really cool shit next door to us that we mm-hmm. don't hear about, that I have a friend who's a psalm in New Mexico that she tells me all the stuff that's going on in New Mexico. I'm like, really? They're doing that? That's cool. And, and, and Maynard and um, uh, Hops and Vines get... They, they do get some get, grapes get from... Get some grapes. New, I don't, New uh, Maynard doesn't do it anymore, but he used to. Yeah. And but the the hops and vine sisters they still get grapes from yeah them. and there's some good grapes and good wines coming out of New Mexico and as far as I'm aware other than the Gruet stuff mm-hmm. nothing's been like really looked at by right. Wine Spectator which we love Gruet I fuck Gruet is amazing it is so good um, 
It's, I don't know what that is. And, uh, it's just a label <laughs> it's from a, New Mexico. It's a label okay. of sparkling right. wine. They make a lot of sparklings. They make uh, some varietal stuff, but yeah. mostly they're. I, I would say they're mostly known for their sparkling. Mostly stuff. known, okay. for, almost exclusively for their sparkling. Yeah. They've got some still wines, but they don't really make it into bottle shops. Yeah, the, the sparkling wines are what they make more of than anything else. Yeah. Um, but I think that that would be cool to be the, the wine writer. And I've got the experience. Yeah, I don't have a psalm, whatever. I've got a CSW. Did we mention that there's a CSW in the CSW. house? CSW. <laughs> I don't have to deal with the public. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Just kidding. Cody, thanks very much for driving down. You're welcome. I really yeah, appreciate it. This has been man. super fun. Great to hang out with you guys. Um, uh, while this is generally a beer-focused podcast, the, the Arizona wine scene is phenomenal, and this Sangio Cerveza is the perfect, perfect crossover. What time sure. does uh, Arizona Wilderness close? Um, you've got plenty of time. Yeah. I, they're open until like 9 or 10. Okay. How far are they from here? <laughs> About 15 minutes-ish. It's, it's not your direction, but it's worth the drive. Okay. Because yeah. if they've... We, I should call them and make sure that they have a bottle before I stop in. I would call. Uh, they definitely had multiple bottles when I was there a few days ago. Okay. I was there last Wednesday, and they had, they had bottles left. Okay. Because I think this is a beer that I want to get actually to share with Gary. Because Gary yeah. also has a love of, of beer and also San yes, Giovese. So. Yeah, I, I love Gary. I've, I've had a handful of conversations with him, but he's, he's good people. Also met him in the same tasting room. He was working at Passion. Yeah. And um, uh, was just down and dropped a bottle of the uh, Goose Island Rare. Uh. The... the uh, 2015 Bur- Bourbon County oh, Rare, the, yeah. the one that was aged in the 35-year-old yeah. whiskey barrels, Ooh. which I know Bourbon County is a bad word because yeah. they were bought out by InBev, but it's, <laughs> that is an awesome beer. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it. that you know, just because I, a brewery or just because uh, the evil overlord controls them doesn't diminish from the quality of the beer, um, but that's maybe a wine a wine drinker's perspective. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fascinating conversation and yeah. it's super polarizing and there would be a, it's a whole different podcast to have that conversation. Oh uh, yeah. We need to have that podcast one. We, yeah. sh- we should and, have, and then you should have me in along as an outsider. Yeah, who's yeah. just like, you know what? I love that idea. Yeah. Like I drink wine. I don't know all of the details. Why are they, why are they Sauron again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. But anyway, thank you very much for coming yeah. down. You're welcome. It was a pleasure being here with if, you guys. Uh, anyone listening, if you haven't had San Cerveza, go get it. It's, it was still on. It's still on tap, and they still had bottles, and it's gorgeous. Yeah, it is, I mean, they just a tasty they beer. nailed this one. Yeah. So yeah, I'm super impressed. Um, also, uh, I will never ever shy away from telling people about how much I love Dusca Bases. Yeah, uh, Todd Bostock is good people. He's good he, people. He great my, one of my favorite wine quotes is actually from him. Uh, that's on my second podcast, uh, "Make America Grape Again," on the <laughs> website. Um, Wine is meant to be drunk with friends, not alone like a creeper. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> That's great. So great. Creeper. Right, we, will, we will end it there. That, yeah, yeah. That, that's perfect. So where can people find you? Arizona Wine Monk. Arizona Wine. Um, you can find me on Instagram at, at, at theazwinemonk. That's my um, wine Instagram. You can find me online uh, and also on Facebook. Look on Facebook for The Wine Monk. Look for the picture of the guy that uh, is well-dressed from Hunch Bun and Wine Mails. It says uh, straight out of seminary on the on the logo, uh, on the profile picture there. Uh, you can find me online, web address, uh, azwinemonk.com or makeamericagrapeagainpodcast.com. Nice. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, you can much. find my podcast also on SoundCloud or wherever podcasts are sold, but for free. Yeah. <laughs> sold for free. <laughs> yes. Awesome. 
and then tapthataz.com um, at tapthataz.podcast on Instagram and then azfoodandbeer.com and azfoodandbeer on Instagram and also want to give a shout out to Drunk Mysteries podcast. You guys have to check that out. Yeah, I am excited. That We're does sound really interesting. Right up my yeah. alley, what they're doing. So these dudes, uh, I'm pretty sure they're in they're in Austin, Texas. Uh, they get drunk and they solve mysteries, basically. The I one love that, it. The, my favorite oh, one. Man. They did the. Uh, Scooby Doo for Rona. Yeah, exactly. I'm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're we the did. meddling kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so no, great podcast. Uh, once again, find more podcasts are found. And uh, want to follow me and see lots of pictures of food and beverages. Uh, I'm at Chris Runoff everywhere. Uh, if you're more interested in the wines that we were talking about, Dos Cabezas. There are Dos Cabezas everywhere. Uh, I also rec- we also talked about Rune, uh, Caduceus, um, Passion. Passion. I, I don't know why you were ex- like so forceful in saying Passion that way. It's like you work there or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> passion. passion. Uh, also. Um, Definitely recommend Calligan Vineyards. Calligan, yeah. Calligan, Flying Leap. Flying Leap. We mentioned in terms of spirits yeah. as well. Uh, but I, I also really, really like Chateau Tumbleweed. Oh, yeah. I don't know Love why we didn't Chateau talk Tumbleweed. about them before. Yep, they are... Talk about good people. Yeah. Uh, definitely good people. Kent and Lisa Calligan are some of the best people yeah. that I know. Uh, there's a lot of good people in the AZ industry. There's amazing wine to be found in Arizona. We all know that there's fantastic beer here, too. So go, go check them out. Go drink. Cheers to that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>